So again, Genesis chapter 43, uh, we're going to read this text uh, together. I hope you've got your Bibles, your device, whatever it is you're going to follow along with, uh, and we will dive into this text. Let's read it together. Here's what it, here's what it says. Now, the famine was severe in the land. So if you know, there's, from where the text has brought us, the famine has come down uh, on, uh, uh, on Israel and all the land around Egypt. It is very severe and um, uh, Jacob and his kids have had to go uh, to uh, Egypt to get food because that's where all the food was. Joseph, who they had sold into slavery, had, had now risen uh, up to be the second in command in Egypt. And he was there and he had made all these provisions literally for the world to have food. And so uh, all the world was coming to him. We had already seen in the text where they had already been at one point uh, to get some food. And now they've got to go back because verse one tells us the famine was severe in the land. Verse two, when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt or bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Uh, so that was uh, Joseph saying it because he wanted to see his brothers. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and the kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And what we, we told him was in answer to these questions, could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Joseph said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go down that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety from my hand to you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would not, we would now have returned twice. He's like, look, let's get a move on because we'd already been there and back twice. If we hadn't been talking about this, then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back what you uh, carry back with you the money that was returned uh, in the mouth uh, uh, returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. If you remember uh, that uh, Joseph had actually put the money that they had brought to pay in the first time back in their sacks, and they when they got back home, they're like, "Oh no, we've got the money back. How did all this happen?" And now they've got to go back and be in front of him again. And he's like, "What are we going to do? Remember they put money back in our the money's back in our sacks. How are we going to deal with all this?" Uh, so verse 13, take also your brother and arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your bro other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into my house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told them and brought them into Joseph's house. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, is it because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys? <laughs> so they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down for the first time to buy food. And we came to the lodging place where we opened our sacks and there was, there was each uh, man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money is full weight. So we brought it again with us. And we brought another money uh, down with us to buy food. We do not know who put money back in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. 
Your God, the God of your fathers, put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought them, uh, the men to Joseph's house and gave them water, he had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, uh, they uh, prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon. They prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into his house him the, uh, him the present that they had brought to them and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well? Is the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down their heads and prostrated themselves. They lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He said, is this your youngest brother whom you brought to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face. He came out, patrolled himself and he said, serve the food. They served uh, him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his birthright and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Wow. What a story. What a story. Let me pray, and we're going to dive into this text. God, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need your help today in understanding what it is you would have us understand. Teach us today something. Point us to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So first 10 verses, uh, this is really what Judah had kind of stood up. Judah kind of stepped in and and stepped up to some responsibility that he needed to take. Let's look at the text again. Verse one. Now there was famine great in the land, and when, there had eaten, and when they had eaten the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go and buy a little food. But Judah said to them, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with us, we will go down and buy food, but you will not see him. We will not go down, for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And then Israel just freaks out. He says, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Have you lost your mind? Did you not think of anything else to say? Why you treat me so bad by, putting the, by giving everybody else in our family? Freaked out. Verse 7. Then they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves. And our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Calm down, dad. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, but both we and you and also our little ones, I will, I will be a pledge to his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then, bear, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. And so in this text, this is really Judah. This is really about Judah and how he's kind of changed because uh, Judah's actions show him to be a far different guy than we found him back in Genesis chapter 37 and 38. You remember that whole story about him and Tamar? I'm not going to get back into the details of that because it's enough to say it once from the pulpit. And so uh, uh, I'm not going to go back there, but if you want to figure out how, what a scoundrel he was, you can go back and read in Genesis chapter 38. 37 and 38. But now I believe he was really a servant of the Lord. He really wanted to serve the Lord in the life that he was living, that his actions that he were doing was showing that, hey, I am a servant of the Lord. 
Uh, he, um, Matthew Henry, he's a commentator on this. He said to show his repentance that he would make some amends for the irreparable injury he had done to Jacob by doubling his care for his concern for Benjamin. Let me say that again. He would make some amends for the irreparable injury he had done to Jacob by doubling his care concerning Benjamin. Making amends. Making amends for someone he had caused injury or pain to. Are there people you need to make amends with? Are there people in your life that you need to fix it with? Some people that you might have caused irreparable injury to. I mean, they're sorry for their sin. Maybe they're sorry for their sins. Maybe they want to try to make amends with you. See, the Christian position in something like this is that even though we've sinned against God and all of us have sinned against God, the creator of all things, the one who gives you and me life and breath every day that we live, even though we injure the cause of Christ with our actions and with our words, because we do, the things we say, how we react to others, how we treat others in the world that lives around us, that actually causes injury to the cause of Christ, the good news of the gospel going forward, the fact that Jesus makes us different people. Whenever we injure people, specifically Christians, whenever we Christians injure other people, it hinders the cause of Christ. And we do it a lot of times with our actions and with our words. Yet God is willing to forgive you and me. Actually already paid for those sins that you have already committed. So the question becomes, who are you holding sins against if God doesn't hold your sins against you? Paul Tripp says this, the extent of the damage of sin is incalculable, but the restorative power of grace is immeasurable. The extent of damage of sin many times is incalculable. You, you can't really put a, a, you can't quantify what it does to people whenever we sin against us or whenever people sin against you and me. But the restorative power of grace is immeasurable. What that says is grace covers all those sins. Grace is greater than our sins. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's why we call ourselves gospel people, because we believe this very thing. Yes, sin is damaging. You sin, it damages people. I sin, it damages people. But the restorative power of grace is immeasurable. For God to restore us in a relationship with him is crazy. And he does it but between people too. Not only a vertical restoration, but a horizontal restoration if we're willing to step into that. That's really one of the overarching teaching points uh, from this story. Think of the damage done by Joseph's brothers. Damage to Joseph, damage obviously to, to their father, damage to the family. And then think about the sin that you commit against others. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's just as severe as what happened to Joseph. Maybe you believe that it's beyond repair. But the restorative power of grace is immeasurable. What do you mean by that, preacher? 
I mean, God is a God of grace. God is a God of multiple chances. God is a God who literally is extending grace to you even as I speak these words to you. Extending grace to you and to me. The scandalous nature of the gospel is that it literally costs us nothing to receive God's grace. It costs us nothing, but it costs him everything. And Jesus still loves you and desires to be in a relationship with you and to forgive you for even your most egregious sins. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Yes, even today. And if God forgives you, maybe it's time for you to forgive someone else. Let's keep going. In verse 11, this really is Jacob kind of turning to trust his sons. This is what he says. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may it be sent back to your other brother and may he send back your other brother Benjamin. And as for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So the men took the present and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now, this is the funny part to me. If you get to verse 11, this is how I pictured it. Uh, it's almost like... Uh, Jacob was like, you guys have got to go back and we've got to make amends and I've got to try to make sure that this thing doesn't, this goes okay. And it, for me, as I'm reading this, it's like he just started grabbing things out of his pantry and started doing it. So I did that too. And, and uh, I, this, it was like, hey, take a Kroger sack with you on this, on this trip and, and, and take, a, you know, take some bagels and, and, and take some peanut butter and, and take some um, um, pretzels and take some garlic salt and take... And take some raisins, and, and take some honey, and take some uh, more raisins, uh, take some, uh, uh, some uh, Greek seasoning, because he'll like that. And, and here's some peppermints, because they're going to need that. And just take that with you, and see if that works, okay? Just, and, and just take that, give it to him, okay? That's, why, that's the way I read this verse. He's just like, take, he said, take some balm, a little honey, a little myrrh, a little pistachio nuts, and some almonds. I'm like, that's what you want to give him? And so, do you think that's good enough for the life of your son? Anyway. That's just a sidebar. Um, so Jacob trusted this. He's like, hey, you know what? Go do what you got to do. Take the gift and go do what you got to do. Uh, but seriously, trusting someone who's done wrong to us is incredibly difficult, right? Right? It's okay to say yes. It's hard to trust someone who has wronged us in some way. And, and, and it really seems harder sometimes to trust, to trust Christians who have sinned against us. People that cause, call themselves Christians, people that claim the name of Jesus, it's even harder, it seems like, to trust Christians who sinned against us because we realize they should have known better. As followers of Jesus, we're called to put away some of these things, specifically sins against one another. I, I, in 1 Peter chapter 2, you can write this down, you can go to it later. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, okay? 
Let's just, let's just stop with that. Let's start right there. So, so Peter says, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're called to put this off. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. So what is that? Those are sins against other people, right? Those are sins that usually come out of our mouth about other people. The things that we say and the things that we destroy people with, he says, we got to put those away. Those away. As followers of Jesus, as people who have been redeemed, whose hearts have been changed, and we're becoming different people, we're called to live differently. We're called to speak differently. We're called to say things differently. No matter what someone might do to us, we're called to respond differently, Christians. From the Bible. He says, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, hey, if indeed it is true, and we're going to get to this in a minute because the question becomes, have you actually been changed by the Spirit? Has the Spirit, become in, has, has the Spirit changed you and made you a new creation? It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's another thing for the Spirit of God to live within us and change us and make us different people. Very different. And if we are different people, if the Spirit of God actually lives within us, we should be different. We should speak differently. We should live differently. We should uh, react differently to people. Quiet in here. Paul says, this, Paul says the same thing when he writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3. Pick up in verse 5. This is what he says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What would put to death mean? Kill it. Kill this thing within you. This thing, to put it away. Bury it. Don't see it again. Don't let it rise up in you again. Put it to death. Here's what he says. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he says, if you're, he's writing this to the church, and he said, you used to do these things, and you used to walk in these things, but now uh, you're different. You're, uh, verse eight, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, Malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed for the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. He says, hey, you got to put these things to death. That's what it looks like to have the spirit of God that lives within us. Killing off the old man, putting on the new man, killing off the old woman, putting in the new woman. I'm not... Don't kill it off the old woman. That's not what I'm saying, but, you know, the old lady, killing off the old lady, you know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? He said, put these things to death. That's what it should look like. That should be part of what it looks like for us to be a followers of Jesus. And this is beautiful when it happens. But here's the difficult part. When there's evidence of faith and repentance in a person's life, especially when we see it over time. Think about somebody, think about someone's wronged you. When there is evidence of faith and repentance in a person's life, especially when we see that evidenced over time, we must trust again those who have wronged us. We must trust again those who have wronged us. 
If they've been repentant and asked for our forgiveness, this is the gospel way. This is the way the gospel counterculturally plays itself out in the world around us today. To put off some things, to put off slander, to put off the way we speak about people, and to welcome them in if they are repentant. As Christians, we're called not only to put away some things, we're called to put on some things. Paul, Paul talks about that same thing, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, put on then. If you put off some things, then you've got to put some new things on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, then just tear them apart. No, if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God our Father through faith. Paul says, that's what it should look like for us. If someone has wronged us, and they come and ask for forgiveness because we're putting away some, some hard things and, the way we, and some I'll get you back kind of things and we're putting on the new man, the new woman in Christ Jesus, it should look like this. See, the brothers knew that they had sinned against their brother and were coming to the realization that only God could and that he would forgive them for their egregious sin against their brother. Two brothers took revenge into their own hands and unfortunately had to live with the guilt, uh, not two brothers, all the brothers, they had to live with the guilt that came with selling their brother into slavery. That's one of the reasons that as, as we go through the Bible and, and, the, and the story of God unfolds, we get Paul writing to the church at Rome and, and he says, let me remind you New Testament believers that uh, Jesus gives us a new way to live. And so for you and me, as we read this story and we see the egregious sin that happens in this family, you go, how do they rectify this? How, how do they fix this? Or how do we fix it today? How do we take it today? The good thing is we have the rest of the Bible or the rest of the scripture. We have the rest of the story. <clears throat> and Paul even talks about that in Romans chapter 12. He said, let me add some other things that he's writing to a different church. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Man, that would have been good to have, right? In the middle of this story. Hey, brothers, Paul's gonna write this sometime later, but repay no one evil for evil. <clears throat> but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, Paul says, 
If your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If he's thirsty, what should you do? Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We get that. We we get the benefit of living in today and on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the scriptures being put together. They didn't have that necessarily in Genesis Genesis chapter 42. See, Christians today, you and I are called to seek forgiveness for our sins. Something made freely available by Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross. Repentance is an essential act that's covered throughout the New Testament scriptures. Believers embracing Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And because of that, he calls us to be changed. That the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God lives within us. That's what he tells us. That whenever we repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus, but the Spirit of God literally comes and dwells within us. And we can't help but be different people if that's true. We put off some things, we put on some things. And so when you get to this point about repentance, so repentance is one of those things that's not only a, uh, an admission of wrongdoing, but it's a mindful intention to do these two words that we talk about here a lot, to just live differently. To live differently. Your life, Christian, should be markedly different than the world around us. There should be something odd and strange about us because the Spirit of God lives within us. Because we can offer forgiveness to someone that many people around us might not offer forgiveness to. Because we can go and befriend someone else that's come around us and go, hey, I don't know how that person's ever friends that after they did that to them. Because we understand forgiveness. We understand that there is a God who loves us and forgives us our egregious sins who are we to withhold it from someone else? According to the dictionary, repentance is to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment or change of one's life. So if someone has sinned against you, if there's evidence of repentance in their life, trust them. Forgive them just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Watch the Spirit at work. Watch the Spirit at work in you. Watch the Spirit at work in them and the people around you who are watching how you do this. Trust me. Hey, listen. There are people that, you call yourself a Christian, there are people that watch you. How many times have you heard, I'm not going to go to that church because of those people? I'm not going to go hang out with that church because those people are hypocrites. I'm not going to go hang out at that church because those people say one thing and do something else. That's injuring the cause of Christ. If that's how you live your life, you are injuring the cause of Christ. He calls us to much different. He calls us to live differently. If he's rescued us from our sin, given us a hope and a future, caused us, given us life, then he calls us to something different. And he empowers us to do it because the spirit of God comes and lives within us. Amen? Amen. 
That's what he calls us to do. Whether we're the offenders or whether we're the offended, we're called to live differently. This is also true. No person is so bad off in their sin they're beyond the place where God's powerful grace can reach them. That includes you. No matter where you are, you're not past the, the redeeming power of God's grace. That's good news. Let's keep going. Last part of this text says this. Verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin was with him, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. The man did just as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they... Uh, were because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, is it because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time they were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and to make us servants and seize our donkeys? So they went up to the steward of, of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down for the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so we brought it all again with us. We didn't take any of it. We didn't keep it. We brought it all back. And we brought our, mon- our uh, money down with us to buy food. We did not know how to put our money, who put our money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out with him. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given, up their, donkey, given their donkey's fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph. Uh, coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, uh, they brought into the house to him the present they had with him and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about the welfare and said, is your father well? The old man whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well, he's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered the chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by, uh, they served him by himself and then uh, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, for the youngest according to the youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken from them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portions was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry. Actually, they became intoxicated with him. That's what that text actually means. Um, uh, One commentator on this text said that Jacob's sons demonstrate qualities uh, demanded of God's people in Genesis 43. Two of these traits are responsibility and gratitude. Uh, verse 8 says, Judah said to Israel, send the boy with me, uh, and, I'll, and I'll take it on my own. I'll pledge his safety from you that requires him if I don't bring him back to you before you and let me bear the blame for it. Uh, and, and they rejoice whenever Benjamin actually gets more than they do. They, they don't even care that Benjamin served five times as much as they do. And uh, I, I think it's, Benjamin should always get a little bit more uh, at the table. Uh, uh, but here's the question. Are you grateful and responsible with the gifts that Lord has provided for you? The things that God has given you, are you grateful for those things? Are you thankful for the provisions that God has made for you today? 
No matter if what the people around you get, no matter if the people around you get some kind of increase or a raise or a new house or a new car or whatever, are you grateful for the things that God provides for you in your life? Are you thankful for your portion? J.C. Ryle says this, for a man to be truly happy, he must have sources of gladness that are not dependent on anything in this world. For you and me to be truly happy, we must have sources of gladness, some other source of, that makes us glad, that makes us glad within our hearts that are not dependent on anything else in this world. Why? Because all that can go away. All that at some time will just burn up. Somebody else will drive my big truck. Somebody else will live in my house. Somebody else will, will, will live in your house. Somebody else will own the land that you own at some point in your life, or probably after you're dead. A source of gladness that's not dependent on anything else in this world. We can't find the source of gladness around things that we accumulate. It's not wrong to have things. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you not to have nice things. But our source of gladness can't come from, the, from accumulating those things together. But the source of gladness has got to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he rescued us from our sins. See, Israel and his sons were fully dependent on the grace and kindness of Joseph. God made the salvation of their family available. He made it possible for their family to be saved. And God made this the only way that they could be saved. There was no other way for them to live other than to come to Joseph, to turn, to, to, to drop their selfish ways, to drop their pride, and to turn to Joseph for their salvation, for the food. That's the only way that they could live, the only way the whole world could live at the time. The text tells us that the world was in famine, and the world literally came to where Joseph was giving away life in the food. Joseph was the architect and the designer of the salvation of the world. See where I'm going with this? It's the story of Joseph that points us to Jesus. Jesus making the provision for you today. The only way for the world, and more specifically you and me, can be saved is to turn to Jesus. See, the reason for us proclaiming the gospel every week when we preach is because it is the gospel message that saves you and me from eternal death. Just as uh, Joseph was saving the world from death. He's pointing to Jesus that saves you and me from eternal death. There was no way that they would live without it. There's no way that you and I will live eternally in the presence of God without coming to Jesus. Now, Paul Washer is a pastor. You might, you might know Paul Washer. Might watch any of him? Yeah, I, I, if you don't, I highly recommend that you go and YouTube Paul Washer and just Begin to watch some of his stuff. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. He, uh, he's not a gimmick guy. He's just a guy that preaches the gospel straightforward. Uh, and I agree with what he says. He said, we've made following Jesus a flippant thing. And listen. He said, we've made following Jesus a flippant thing. And he said in his sermon, and I'll say what he said today, that many of you probably believe that you're Christians. 
but there's nothing in your life that is different about you today than there was whatever, from whatever day you became a Christian or thought you became a Christian at whatever point you thought you became a Christian. There's nothing in your life different. He said, the problem is, he says, we spend five minutes with somebody whenever they say they want to come to Jesus. We spend five minutes with them and then the next 50 years trying to convert goats into Christians. Trying to disciple goats into Christians. What that means is, he says, that, we're, we're not, that many of us are not sheep, that we're still goats. That we actually haven't been changed by the gospel. Our lives are no different today than they ever were before. Nothing has ever changed. You don't do anything different. You don't live your life any differently. You're just rolling along with this false security that somewhere somebody spent five minutes with you and said, hey, do you want to follow Jesus and not go to hell? Well, who wouldn't want to follow Jesus and not go to hell? Right? Nobody wants to burn up for the rest of their life. But with that, those are just facts. But the question is, have you ever truly followed Jesus? Have you ever been changed by the gospel? Has Jesus, have you repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus and the spirit of God coming to live with you ever made a difference in your life? If it hasn't, then you're probably outside the household of faith. And uh, Washer says that is a reality for many of our lives today. And so for men and women that hear this week after week, specifically here at the Refuge Church, where every story points us to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it would be my, I would plead with you today to examine yourself and go, am I different? Don't be ashamed to go, no, I'm not any different and I need Jesus today. Then that's what we want for you today. We want you to be different. We want your life to be different. We want you to really follow Jesus. We don't want you to have some cultural Christianity that literally means nothing. We want you to be changed by the gospel. Listen to these texts because these are the essence of why we preach every week, why we specifically choose songs that point people to Jesus, why we're all about seeing you come to follow Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says... I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here or if you're watching online and you go, well, I think there's many ways to Jesus. I think there's many ways to, to follow him. I think there's many ways to God, and, and we can just all agree to get along around that thing. That is, that is contrary to what Jesus says. You're calling Jesus a liar, and I ain't calling him a liar. I'm going to go with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if you're trusting in anything else other than the righteousness of Jesus on your behalf, then you're trusting in something that will not get you to heaven. You're trusting in something that will not make you a changed man or woman. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, there is salvation, uh, there, uh, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name given under heaven and earth whereby men must, men must be saved. 
First Timothy, Paul writes this when he's writing to Timothy in chapter two. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not multiple men, not multiple ways. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which was appointed a teacher and an apostle. I am speaking truth in Christ and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We know this from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn you. Did not send his son to the world to condemn the world so that the world might be saved through him. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by you hearing this message proclaimed to you. The preaching of the gospel is why, is how God uses his message to be proclaimed. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We preach the scriptures and, the, script and, and the, uh, the spirit of God awakens you to the gospel. Maybe he's doing that for some of you right now. Maybe he's stirring in your heart and go, what the preacher's talking about is true. You need to listen to him because what he's saying is true. Maybe you're outside the household of faith. I remember whenever I became a Christian, I was sitting in a church service just like you are. Or maybe you're watching in a church service and, and, and people are hearing the word proclaimed and the spirit of God said, you're not a Christian, big boy. Maybe he's saying that to you today. All this is a gift. Like Joseph was giving to his family. It didn't cost them anything. Salvation doesn't cost you. You don't have to pay for your salvation. You don't have to give anything other than to repent, to turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God a gift given to you freely, not of works. You don't have to work for it. So nobody can boast about it. We don't boast about being saved because then we can boast about it. You know, I did all this stuff and I was a preacher and I did this and I taught Sunday school and held babies and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 there's no merit in that. Salvation is a gift. Text tells us that at the end of this text that they looked at one another with amazement and rejoiced around the table together because they were seeing that life was given to them. They were seeing that salvation was being offered to their family. So your question might be, well, how do I know God, preacher? How can I be saved today? Luke chapter 15 says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You want to celebrate today? Come to Jesus. You want celebrations to happen in heaven today? Come to Jesus. How does that happen, preacher? Glad you asked. Romans chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, you believe with all that is in you that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes. This, this is... What the Bible says when it means your heart, it means your whole being. With everything within you, you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that God raised him from the dead, and he is our only hope and salvation, that you're willing to give your life over to him. The heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved to say, I want to follow Jesus. I, want to follow, I need to become a Christian. I need to give my, I want to leave my old life, surrender my old life, and give my life to Jesus. That's what the scripture tells us to do. What will all this mean for you? Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, if anyone in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So today, 
I invite you to be saved. I invite you to come to Jesus. I invite you to repent of your sins, to confess your sins, and believe the gospel. Believe that this story is true about Jesus. I invite you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. When that happens, we'll all look on you with amazement to see what God has done. That's my hope for each of you today. Let me pray for us.